name is Hunter, and it is a pleasure to be here with you and preach God's Word to you this morning. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 1. We're continuing our series through the Psalms, and you can go right to the first Psalm. Now, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, I want to point your attention to the back. We have several tables with stacks of Bibles. They are our gift to you. Do not feel weird about going up and taking one. That's why they're there. So I encourage you, go get a Bible and have it for next week. Um, but go ahead and turn to Psalm 1 in your Bible. And while you're doing that, let's go ahead and pray and ask God for his help. Um, Father, your, your word is indeed good. You tell us in your word that your word is life. Um, and God, that we live by the very breath of God. Um, that your words to us are, are more nourishing than, than food itself. That we need them. So God, I pray you would fill our every need through your word this morning as we look at, at your Psalms. Um, God, please bless us, bless me uh, as, as we look into, into the things of you, as we look into the things of God. God, please help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so why you are probably already at Psalm 1, but I just want to say it has been, uh, every morning I'm reminded How about this? Is that better? Okay. Well, every time I'm here, I am just so thankful to be with you all. Uh, maybe we haven't traveled quite as much as the Funches family, but the past few weeks have had a lot of travel in them. And so every week, I don't know about you, but every week that I'm away, I couldn't be more glad to come back, and I long to be with this church body. There's just something special about this church family, and it's just so good to be here. Uh, last weekend, we were down in Tennessee, and we were spending some time with family, and we got to see, uh, spend some quality time with my nephew, Isaiah. He is two, and as a two-year-old, he loves many things. He finds delight in the simplest of things, and one of those things is rocks. And so, he waddled up to us one afternoon as we sat on the porch, and he had a big rock in his hand. Okay, I have, I have a, I'm going to take a pause on this story real quick leave you in suspense. How about now? There we go. We can, you can praise the Lord. It's okay. So what did he do with this rock? You've been hanging on the edge of your seat. Thank you. Well, he came up with his rock in his hands, and he triumphantly showed me his great find. And he held it out, and I took it in my hand, and I squished it, made a flat pancake, and what did I do? I made two fists, and I held them out to him. And I said, which one is it in? And he, he sat there and considered for a moment. He's two, he didn't rub his chin. But he looked at it, and he confidently slapped my left hand. And I confidently revealed to him it was, it was empty. It had nothing but air in it. And so I flashed the rock in my other hand and I proceeded to do the same thing again and again and again. You see, he, he was quite entertained by this game. And I imagine that many of you would not be as entertained by this game, especially after the nth, you know, nth time of doing it. That's because most of you aren't too. But that's also because most of you have significantly more going on in your life than my nephew Isaiah does. And that's to be expected. You know, you have mortgages. You have responsibilities. You have a job to get to. You have an inbox 
waiting for you tomorrow full of emails and problems to solve. You have anxieties that are on the back of your mind, even as I speak right now. Your lives are far more complicated than my nephew, but you have this in common with him. I had two choices held out in front of him, and in all of life's complexities, you have two choices laid before you. And all of the difficulties of life, really it all boils down to one of two paths, one of two choices. And Psalm 1 calls, calls these your way and God's way. Your way to life, God's way to life. We all have many things we're dealing with, but you have this option, your way or God's way. Now, also, very different to Isaiah, he was guessing what was in each hand. But to you, as we're going to see in Psalm 1, the options lay bare before you. There's no hiding what's, what's entailed with each choice. What comes with your way and what comes with God's way? The consequences of those choices are plain for you to see and read and meditate on. It's all, it, nothing's hidden from you. And so, Psalm 1 teaches us that there are two ways, and this is going to be its main message. This is it. You have two choices. Choose God's way. It's far better. Choose God's way to live. It's that simple. This isn't a long paragraph of a main point. It's quite easy. Choose God's way. It's better. So if you've opened up to Psalm 1, let's go ahead and read our text together. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word to us this morning. And it tells us that we have two paths in life. Your way, God's way. Choose God's way. Now before we dive deeper into the text, I think there's a few other notes that we should point out uh, that will help us as we try and apply this psalm to our lives. Um, and now in undergrad, I was pursuing a STEM major. And so I had to read very few books. I had to write very few papers. In fact, all I did was math. And so fast forward uh, to my first class in graduate school, and I'm taking a non-STEM class, and I'm assigned a stack of books and many papers to write called book reviews. Needless to say, I really struggled because I didn't quite know how to read. I, I, it was a difficulty, especially when I had to try and summarize what the author's main message was trying to take this whole book and put it into a sentence or two, that was really difficult for me. And so, I did what anyone would do. I bought a book called How to Read a Book. And the author, I encourage you, it's a very good one. Um, and the author told me something amazing that I never expected him to say. 
He said, don't skip the preface or the introduction. This was news to me. I had grown up just assuming you start in chapter one. That's why it's called chapter one. I just kind of moved right past the introduction. But do you know what a lot of authors put in their introductions? This is why I'm writing this book. This is the purpose of this book. This is what this book is trying to accomplish. You see, and it's the same way with the Psalms. We have 150 books, or 150 Psalms in this book that we call the Psalter. They were written over a, a long period, over a thousand years. Many authors, a variety of seasons, a number of different circumstances, genres. It is said that there is a Psalm that captures and expresses every season in your life and every emotion that you could experience. The Psalms are a huge diversity of all sorts of things, and yet there is a simple structure to it. And Psalm 1 is not Psalm 1 by accident. See, Psalm 1 stands as the introduction, and as any good introduction, it tells us what the main theme of the book is. It gives us the author's main message. It gives us the undergirding. You see, so the Psalms are complex life, life. That's why they express everything we experience. But Psalm 1 puts forward this simple thing that undergirds all of it. There are two choices that you can pick. In all of life's complexities, and all of the choices that you make in life, really it boils down to this. Are you going to follow your way, or are you going to do it God's way? Your way or God's way. Now, here in Psalm 1, what we see is, is called your way, and it's called God's way, the way of the wicked, the way that the Lord knows. And now in wisdom literature, the way, the path, this is just a metaphor for your journey through life. So when you are reading through Psalm 1, that's what I want you to think when you see the way, the path, the road. This is a metaphor for the way that you go through your life. And so, here in Psalm 1, it's six short verses, but it stands as the gateway to all of the Psalms. And it says, choose God's way, it's better. And we have three, we see three really good reasons why it is better to choose God's way. Verse 1 and 2, look with me. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who chooses God's way. You see, you should choose God's way because it promises a true blessing. Blessed is the man. If, if Psalm 1 is the gateway to the Psalter, then these words are the gateway to this text. Nothing else in this text will make sense if you don't understand these words. Blessed is the man. Now, your, your text might say, happy is the man, or truly happy is the man. And that's good. That's, that's an okay translation, but it doesn't quite capture everything that this word says. Sometimes I think we use blessing in much the same way that we use the word hope. We really water it down. When we think of happy, we just think of a good mood or a good emotion. But blessed, the man who is blessed is, is having far more than just a good day. He, he's done far more than just hit all green lights on the way to work. Blessing is more than just surface level wants. The man who is truly blessed is the one who has his greatest need met. And what is that need? The expectation of favor with God. That is the expectation of pure fellowship, of a right relationship, of the joyous presence of God. This is the blessed man. 
Psalm 144 says, Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. This is what a blessing is. Everyone wants happiness. Everyone wants blessing. But not everyone wants God. But that is where true blessing is found. What does it mean to be blessed? It means to be in right relationship with God. Right fellowship with Him. Everyone wants a blessing, but few want to take the path, want to choose the way that leads to this blessing. And so, we see here the blessed man. We see four things about the blessed man. Three things that he doesn't do, and one big thing that he does. So look with me, verse 1. The blessed man, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That is, the blessed man's manner of life is to tune out the influence of those who disagree with God. His his pattern in life is to tune out the input from the ungodly and the wicked. They are not the primary voice speaking into his life. Next, the blessed man, he does not stand in the way of sinners. That is, that that doesn't mean he's obstructing their path. He's trying to get in the way and keep them from sinning. Now, what it means, he's not going to stand where the current of the crowd is going to pull him away to sin. He does not put himself where the crowd has a certain temperature that takes him away from God. He does not find his primary fellowship with those who are not God's friends. And then the third thing that he does not do, he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Now in the Bible, uh, scoffer, I don't know what comes to mind when you think scoff, I, I just think like chuff, like that's, that's a scoffer. But in the Bible, one who scoffs is one who looks at those who are trying to follow God's way, who looks at the path that God has set and laughs at it, mocks it, derides it. They make fun of God's way and say, what a dumb path that is. That is one who, who mocks. That is the scoffer, the one who mocks God and those who follow in his way. So this man, this blessed man, he does not occupy the seat of the scoffer. He does not make fun of and mock the things that God delights in. He does not participate in the glorification of sin and the things that God does not delight in. And so now some of you at this point maybe have noticed of these three negatives, there's a trend moving in a certain direction. As one commentator points out, sometimes we find ourselves moving in the wrong direction kind of counsel, and then we find ourselves standing in the wrong kind of company, the wrong kind of place, and then we find ourselves sitting in the wrong kind of seat. We see this progression from influence to involvement to imitation. This is the path that leads you away from the blessing. This is the path that leads you away from right fellowship with God, when that first influence is not the voice of God. So what is his influence? Well, we see that in verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of God, and so he meditates on it day and night. Instead of orienting himself around the influence of the wicked, he orients himself around God's instruction, God's law, God's word. Now, your Bible might put the word instruction there in place of law. If you're reading the ESV, it says law. The law of God, other versions might say the instruction of the Lord. That's because the word there is Torah, which is the word that we used to refer to the first five books of the Bible. 
uh, the first five books of Moses. Now, as New Testament Christians, we know 2 Timothy 3, which says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That is, all of God's Word is instructive, good for teaching. So I don't think it's wrong if you're reading this verse and you import the Bible into that verse, where it says, His delight is in the Bible. His delight is in the Bible. And he meditates on the Bible day and night. That's okay. But I want to point out that the first hearers of this text did not have your favorite verses. They did not have Romans 8.1. They did not have Ephesians 2 or John 3.16. Those are not the texts that came to mind when they said, when they heard delight in the law of the Lord. No, what they were thinking of was the books that you and I struggle the most with in our reading plan. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They're thinking of those books. They're thinking of the first five books of the Bible, which it seems the Psalms imitate in their own structure, being divided into five parts. And it's also interesting that Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2, is almost identical to Joshua verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, where he's instructed to meditate day and night on the law of God and be careful to do it. Why is that significant? Well, Joshua is the sixth book, and so that is the first verses right after the five books of Moses, and so they look back on the first five books. So it's okay to read the Bible here, but I want you to know that the original hearers heard Deuteronomy, heard Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, Genesis. Why is that worth mentioning? Well, it's because God's instruction has never actually changed. You see, God has always given his word for the exact same purpose, that those who want to identify with him, who want to follow in his way, would hear his word and love it and delight in it and meditate on it and do it and keep it and follow him. God has given his word in every generation to every people for the same purpose, to be heard and to be responded to. That's why when it says he meditates on it day and night, this isn't just, yeah, he comes to mind, he wakes up, knocks out his reading plan, checks it off the box. No. He's reading to do it, to follow God. And you see, this is the blessed, the blessed man, this is where he gets his influence from. He gets it from the law of God, from God's word. Because if you're not getting your influence from God's word, another voice is going to be taking, filling the void and, and take the gap. So here we have our two paths. Your way, God's way. The blessed man, God's way. It leads to that blessing to God's presence. And we see three things that define the wrong way and, and one thing, really important thing, that defines the right way. So let's take this text, these first two verses, and just turn them like a mirror real quick back on ourselves. Let's do the uncomfortable thing and evaluate ourselves and ask, how are we doing? What is influencing you more right now? What is the primary voice speaking into your life? You see, everything in your life has a voice. The movies you watch, the television that you consume, the social media, the news media, the video games that you play, the music you jam out to in the car, everything that you listen to and take in has a voice in your life. Is it encouraging you to follow God's way 
to stay true to his path or is it taking you away? Is it causing you to delight in the things that God delights in or is it causing you to find pleasure in what God says he wants no part in? What is influencing you? It really comes down to this. Who has the primary voice in your life? You who are dating and you say, I'm going to set up boundaries. You know, I'm going to save intimacy for marriage. When all the culture says, oh, that's, that's, that's no problem. You do what you want. It's, it's really about you. There's, there's no difference. But God says, keep yourself pure. Whose voice has a louder influence on you? Students. You know, it's always been Chegg and Coursero, but Chat GPT provides some, some real temptations. God says, you be a man of integrity. You be a woman of integrity. You do your courses honestly. You're going to listen to the crowd that says, you've got to get a good grade. You've got to get ahead. Or you're going to listen to God's word. Professionals, it is a cutthroat world out there in the world of business. To climb the ladder, you're told you usually have to pull others down. You have to knock them out of the way a little bit. Are you going to listen to that voice? Or are you going to listen to God's voice who says, have a good work ethic. Walk in a Christ-like manner. Be the man, the woman of integrity. This one might hit close to home. Sports betting has recently become legal. Have you ever considered for a moment what God says about how you are to manage his money? Because it's his, the fullness of the earth thereof. Does God's voice have a voice in your life? Does God's word have an influence on you? Or is it everything else in this world that is causing you to take your next step? Is it God's way or is it your way? Choose God's way. It leads to blessing. Next, who are you spending your time with? We, we read here, the blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not find his primary fellowship with those who are not God's friends. Now, I'm not saying disassociate from every unbeliever in your life. What I'm saying is seriously consider the company that you keep. They have an effect on you. There's a very popular saying that says, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. I don't think that that's 100% true. Mathematically, that makes no sense. But <laughs> there is some truth to it in the sense that who you keep company with really does affect you. Who you spend time with, they're influencing you. They're, they have a voice in your life. And whose path are they encouraging you to follow? Last, the blessed man does not, not occupy the seat of the scoffer. This verse challenges us. Are we prone to mock others for following God's instruction? I'm sure a lot of you maybe just recoiled in the inner heart of hearts there and said, I would never, I would never mock someone for trying to follow God's word. But I think if we look a little bit more closely, you'll see just how prone we are to maybe warm the seat of the scoffer for him. See, I have, a, I have a friend who was so concerned with personal purity that he ripped the door off of his bedroom so that he would not have any temptation. And he told all of his roommates, I'm ripping this door off for this person, or for this reason. Do you think that's overkill? Some mocked him, but I tell you, he, he's on the path that leads to God's blessing. I have another friend who 
She is known for excusing herself from every single social engagement that she is at at 8 p.m. Because she wants to get home, she wants to get to bed, because she wants no reason. She wants no temptation to sleep in and miss her mornings with the Lord. You think that's overkill? Would you mock her? Would you say, hey, just, you know, you can, you can hang out till 8.30. Some mock her. Christians mock her. But I tell you, she's on the path to blessing. Some of you were at a Reds game last night. And many of you probably weren't, but I'm sure all of you have been to a sporting event or a concert. And what do you find outside on the sidewalks? There's a guy selling water bottles for about $8. But there's also a guy on the other corner who's street preaching into a microphone that you can't really hear. What do you think when you walk past him? You say, he's just wasting his time. No one, no one wants to hear him anyway. No one can understand what he's saying. You say, he's wasting his time. You're warming the seat of the mocker. He's trying to follow the path of blessing to God's presence. Don't mock him for that. See, we are so prone to mock each other when we, when we disagree, especially on matters of conscience. Do not warm the seat of the scoffer. We're all just trying to follow God. Be gracious, be kind to one another. This verse, or these verses also beg us then to ask, you know, who's influencing us? Whose company are we keeping? Are we warming the seat of the scoffer? And then the final one, do we delight in God's word? Do you delight? Do you love? Do you find pleasure in God's instruction? Now, some of you already are, are tensing up because you're tired of this in every sermon. Read your Bible. You say, I know, I know. Read your Bible. You say, I know, I'm trying. And I'm telling you, read your Bible. There is life in it. You need to read your Bible. You need to meditate on it day and night. And God thinks it's so important. He even tells us how to do it in His Word. See, in, in one of those chapters that we probably don't spend as much time in, Deuteronomy 6, God says this. He says, these words that I command you, I want them to be on your heart. I want you to meditate on them day and night. How do you do that? He says, first, teach them diligently to your children. Next, talk about them when you're on your way around. Some of you on your way to work listen to Scripture, audio Bible, that's great. Keep doing that. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk about his instruction. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you rise, and when you lie down. You shall bind them as a sign around your hand, so that in all you do, you see God's instruction. You shall put them as a frontlet between your eyes, so that in all you see, you're thinking God's instruction. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In all that you do, meditate day and night on what God says. What does God want? What is God's will? Meditate day and night. Delight yourself in what God has to say. Read your Bible. Love it. Think about it. Pray it. Sing it even. Love the scripture that you have there in your hand. See, I have a friend who in his bathroom, on his bathroom mirror, he writes out a scripture verse. And his goal is to try and memorize that verse before the steam washes it off. Now, I think maybe that's a little cheesy, but it's really cool, actually. 
I think that it's so great that he loves Scripture so much that even when he's brushing his teeth, he's trying to memorize Scripture. And then he goes out in the day and he tries to apply it. See, I remember back in high school, I came to faith in college, so this is, uh, this is a while before that, but back in high school, I remember sitting in math class, and beside me was uh, a 14-year-old named Evan. And in our five minutes between classes, I saw him pull out a stack of note cards and run through them constantly, every day, constantly. He was memorizing scripture verses. And by the time he graduated high school, he memorized hundreds of verses. He had so much of God's word locked in his memory because of just five minutes between class, running through those cards. He delighted in, in God's word, and so he meditated on it day and night. And I'm telling you, he has a lot to show for it now. We all have seasons, I'll admit, where Bible reading is tough. Not all of us think that scripture memory is as easy as maybe the person beside you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Sometimes it is really difficult to get up, especially in February when you're in Leviticus. It's really tough. But God, what does God say? He says, delight in my instruction. Meditate on it day and night. When it feels like a chore, I want you to remember this, because I think even when, when we're at our best in our Bible reading, we, we forget why we're doing it. We wake up and we say, wow, this is so good, and I check off my box. But I think even when we're at our best in our Bible reading and devotions, we, we forget why we're doing it in the first place. And when it is, feels like a chore, I want you to remember this and push through. Why do we read our Bibles? Why are we here right now? Why do you have a Bible in your lap? And I have one right here that we're talking about. It's because this is where we meet God. This is where we encounter the true and living God. This, this is where we meet God in his word. That's why you get up and read your Bible in the morning, so you can meet God. The one who pours over the scripture by the help of the Spirit, they encounter God, the true and living one whose path lies before us to a path of blessing. As, as one prophet says, O oh Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night, and my spirit within me earnestly seeks you. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we meditate on it day and night, is because our spirit earnestly seeks him to know, to meet with God. Choose God's way. You have your way here, but choose God's way. It's better. It leads to blessing. It promises blessing not just far in the future, some of us are already thinking about heaven, but it promises real blessing now, and that leads us to our, our second point. We look down in verses three and four. You see, in verses one and two, we have this, this uh, two ways set before us, the way of the wicked and God's way. And then verses three and four present us with an illustration of what that difference is like. What is it like, the man who is blessed? What is it like, the one who follows the way of the wicked? And we see, you should choose God's way because it produces real fruit. God's way promises real blessing and it produces real fruit. Look in verse three. What is the blessed man like? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. See the tree that is planted right beside that cool bubbling brook with its roots deep down in the stream bed, the man and the, or the woman who is firmly rooted in the scripture, they're like this tree, bearing fruit 
in all seasons. See, when it doesn't matter whether there's a drought coming, it doesn't matter the weather conditions, it does not matter what's happening outside, but right here by that stream, everything's great. That tree is flourishing, it's growing fruit, it's bearing mature fruit, and it's thriving. When you're rooted in the scriptures, in all seasons of life, under all conditions, you can find a reason to be loving, find a reason to have joy. Find a reason to be patient when everything is urging you to just rush. You can find a reason to be kind when everyone else is being not kind. For those who are rooted in the scripture, every condition, every season is an opportunity to demonstrate goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, love. In all the ups and downs of life, in all of the complexity of the lives that we live, whether you are on a mountaintop experience this week or whether you feel like you've been in the pit for months, for the one rooted in the stream bed of God's word, rooted in God's instruction, who is looking for the nourishment that hydrates the soul in God's word, every season is a condition to thrive. And then we read verse 4. You can almost picture the psalmist picks up a stick and draws a sharp line in the sand and says, that's the blessed man. The wicked, not so. The blessed man, he's like the tree planted in streams of water. The wicked, not so. The blessed man, he is yielding fruit in its season. The wicked, not so. The blessed man, his leaf does not wither. The wicked, not so. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like, if I would have been writing this, I probably would have said the unfruitful tree. But the psalmist goes farther than that. My next guess probably would have been the dry shrub, but he goes farther than that. Say, maybe the dry stick on the ground. He goes farther than that. He says, the wicked, they're not like the fruitful tree. They're like chaff. Chaff. Now, for those of us who buy our grain at Kroger, the chaff is the outside of the seed that you get rid of to get to the good part. It's the shell of the sunflower seed to get at the actual seed. It's the husk of the corn that you peel away and throw in the garbage bin so you can eat the good part. Chaff and tree, this is a stark contrast we have. Tree, chaff. Maybe let's, let's put chaff in another, another light and see if that helps us. Chaff. The blessed man, he's like a tree. The wicked are not so. They are like the candy wrapper that you forgot and it fell down between your car seats and you just found when you cleaned out your car and threw away. Trash. The wicked, they are not so, but they're like the grass clippings that are laying out in the street bleached after you mowed your lawn and you're waiting for the breeze to take them away trash. See, when I look up on, on any dictionary, a synonym for chaff, trash is always there. Chaff is useless. Just like this tree is permanent, it has stability, it has nourishment, it has life and vitality, chaff is by definition dry, withered, dead, useless, impermanent. 
this is a very strong contrast that the psalmist drives between the man who is on God's path to blessing and the one following their own way, the wicked. These two paths may look similar, but there are huge differences between them. Now, if I asked any of you after this, do you want to be the tree or do you want to be chaff? Nobody in their right mind is going to say, I really want to be the chaff. Now, everyone's going to say, I want to be the luscious tree. I want to be that apple tree that makes really good fruit. Everyone wants to be the tree. No rational person wants to be chaff. I think the problem is too many of us assume that we already are the tree. Too many of us assume we could never be the chaff. But you see, it's only God's way that produces real fruit. It's only God's way that leads to blessing, and it's only God's way that produces real fruit. The difference is the difference between a fruit-bearing tree by a stream and that candy wrapper you threw away that you forgot about. Maybe some of you at this point are saying, that sounds great. I'm looking at verse, verse 3, I'm looking at verse 4, and you know, I see where it says, in all that he does, he prospers. That sounds great. But I can sure point out a lot of examples where it seems those who don't really care too much about the Bible seem to be doing pretty well for themselves. And others who I know that they love the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they are just in the pits right now. And it doesn't always seem to be that he's prospering. Is this a contradiction? Does this mean that Psalm 1 gets it wrong? Does the blessed man truly always prosper? Is the one following God's path always prospering? Is it a contradiction to say that you can suffer and prosper simultaneously? It's no contradiction. It's only a contradiction if you define prosperity with material success, material gain, earthly riches, temporary and vanishing riches. There's no, cons there's no inconsistency here. You see that passage Josh read just a little bit earlier, the Beatitudes, was, was Jesus wrong when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit? No, he wasn't wrong. Why? Because they are promised the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God belongs to them. Was he wrong when he said, blessed are those who mourn and those who grieve? No, he wasn't wrong. Why? Because the comfort of God belongs to them and is coming for them. I know many of you have been grieving the past weeks, the past months. God's blessing is, has not left you. God is with you, and his comfort belongs to you. You can prosper in the midst of mourning and grieving. What about when, when Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are mocked, who are scoffed at because of his name. Was he wrong? No. Again, the answer is no. There's no inconsistency here. Why? He says, because they have a reward waiting for them in heaven that blows everything in this world out of the water. They have a real reward waiting for them, and it belongs to them. They can prosper. They can have real hope. They can have real joy, he says. In fact, they should have joy and celebrate because a reward waits for them in heaven. See, it's not a contradiction to say you can suffer and prosper at the same time. A deeply rooted tree bed or a deeply rooted tree dug down deep into the stream bed has opportunity to bear fruit in every condition, in every season, in every up and every down. During drought or rainstorm, the tree with roots dug deep in, into the stream bed, if you're dug deep into God's word, 
rooted in his instruction, you can prosper, you can profit from every season that's thrown at you. See, the fruit is always visible. It's always visible. But we will admit, sometimes the brokenness of this world seems to obscure the differences a little bit. So we, we have God's path, and we say that that's the path that leads to blessing. That's the path that leads to fruitfulness. And then we have this other path that is described as chaff. Fruitless, useless, meaningless. You know, it doesn't always look that way. The fruit's always visible, but sometimes this world obscures that contrast. Well, verses 4 through 6 show us that there's a day coming where that contrast is going to be made so clear that there is no doubt who's on God's path and who's on their own path. Now, if you drive 15 minutes, I've got to orient myself here, 15 minutes east, 20 minutes east from here, what you're going to encounter are cornfields. And what you'll notice, that corn I think about, uh, right now is about my height, and so you'll see many ears of corn on the stalks. What you'll notice is that the husk is right beside the corn while the plant grows. See, as the plant grows, that husk and that corn, the ear of corn, the fruit are really close together. They are side by side as that plant grows. And that's the way it is for a while. See, they're side by side for just a season. But harvest time is coming. And when harvest comes, that husk is ripped off and thrown into a pile, thrown over here. And that ear of corn is taken somewhere where it is used. See, there's a day coming when the chaff and the wheat, the husk and the corn, the difference between the one following the way of the wicked and his own way, and the one following God's path is going to be made so clear that there will be no doubt at all which one is better. So that's what we see in verse 4. The wicked, they're not so. They're like chaff. But what's going to happen to that chaff? It's going to be driven away. Look at verses 4 to 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. See, only the tree has, has permanence. Only the tree has stability. That chaff is going to be driven away. You who are following your own path, you have these two choices beside, in front of you. You who are following your own path, that path has an expiration date. God's way goes on forever. The choice that you make between these two paths has effect now, and it has impact eternally. It has an eternal impact which path in life you choose, your way or God's way. As the, as the end of the book of Ecclesiastes says, there's a day coming when God will bring into judgment every secret thing, every deed, whether good or evil. He's going to bring it all into judgment. And in that day, it says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, nor sinners in the assembly of those who've been walking God's path. The wicked right now stand. But there's coming a day when they, they're going to get knocked down, or they won't. Your way only lasts so long before God cuts it off and it perishes. These two paths, why, why does this one expire and this one continue? Because God only knows 
one way. God knows the way of the righteous. He accepts this way. He loves this way. He delights in his way that began with his instruction, continued, dug into his word, and now bears fruit. He knows only one side, only one choice, only one way. Which are you going to choose here? Now, if we're all honest with ourselves, if we look back over this psalm and we read, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, we'd all honestly have to say, you know, there have been times where I've maybe been influenced by the wicked. We'll say, stands in the way of sinners. There have been times when I have definitely found myself in the wrong company and, and maybe went along with what they were doing. I have to admit, there have been times where I have warmed and sat and kept warm the seat of the scoffer. And I definitely have not always delighted in God's law. I don't have to guess when I say that all of you can say the exact same thing. Every single one of us looks at this psalm and says, there's God's way, but I know I have not kept it perfectly. I can't. And so when we get to the end where it says, the wicked are not so, they're going to fall into judgment, but the way of the righteous will prosper. God knows it. If we're honest with ourselves, all of us would have to say, 10 chances out of 10, we would really choose our own way. That's really what all of us would do if left to our own devices. Because of our own nature, we would choose our own way every single time and would find ourselves on the wrong side of that judgment. In reality, this psalm waits for one man. This psalm describes one man. Billions of people have walked on this earth, but only one man does this psalm truly talk about. Blessed is the man. Jesus, he never walked in the counsel of the wicked. Not once. Never did he stand in the way of sinners. He was the friend of sinners, but not once was he influenced to participate in what they were doing. He never sat in the seat of the scoffer. His delight was only to do the will of God. As we even sang in our song, he proved it by going to the cross. He said, not one dotted I, not one cross T is going to pass away from the law until I've done it all. And he did it. And he proved it on the cross. Jesus is the only blessed man. And if all of us were to stand in judgment, only one man would actually endure it. All of us would have, to, would have to realize we're just chaff. Only Jesus is the true tree planted in streams of living water. Christ is the only blessed man. But he went to that cross, and he proved that he did all of that. And he went to that cross, and what he did on that cross was he suffered says, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's what Jesus suffered. He suffered the way of the wicked. So that you and I, when we read this, we can say, wow, that blessing, I can have that in Christ. He took the punishment of the wicked so that I, in him, can have that blessing. I can say, wow, I can bear fruit in him, through him, because of what he's done. I can say, wow, I have confidence to stand before God's throne in him because of what he's done, because of what he did on that cross. You can receive the blessing. You can bear fruit. You can have hope to stand before God, but it's all in him because he's the only blessed man. It has to be in him. 
He went to the cross so that those who know that they are the chaff can trust in him in their place. He suffered in your place so that you can take his blessing, the blessing of having God's presence. You see, someone has never really been about working your way towards God. It's never really been about earning God's favor. Someone has always been undergirded by grace. You see, even that law that the psalmist says he should delight himself in the law, we think law, we think death. We think law, we think bad. That's what I was taught when I became a Christian. But what does God say in the first verse right before the Ten Commandments? He says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery. I am the one who has redeemed you. Then he gives them the Ten Commandments. You see, the, the law has, a, has an undergirding of grace. Or how about there in verse 3 where it says, He's like a tree planted by streams of water. That tree didn't plant itself by streams of water. God put the tree there. Just as God planted a garden in, in Eden and streams of water rolled on through and he walked there in the cool of the day, so now God is planting a people for himself to enjoy. That's you in Christ. In Christ, you have this blessing, God's presence. It's in him and in him alone. You don't have to work for it. Christ has secured it. That is the message of the cross. Trust in him. Trust in him as the blessed man. He's already secured the blessing for you. You don't have to earn it. See, in Psalm 1 is, is frequently called the gateway to the Psalms. And in the same way, Christ stands as the gateway to God's path. Many of you are familiar with Matthew 7 where it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it enter by it are many. Many go down their own way. Many go down the path that leads to destruction. For the gate is very narrow. It's narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. But those who find it, and those who find it are few. You see, when I held out my two fists to my nephew Isaiah, he was guessing which hand the rock was in. But you, you have two choices before you, your, your way or God's way. And you know you don't have to earn it. Christ has already done that. You respond in Christ. You're not earning anything. And so you have these two ways, your way, God's way. And both options stand in front of you, plain as day, to see which one is better. God's way is, in fact, better. Do you want that blessedness? Do you want the blessing that comes with God's presence? It's right here. Do you want it? It's right here. Do you want to bear a fruitful life? Do you want to have stability? Do you want to have permanence? It's right here. It's in Christ. Do you want to have confidence to stand on that last day in front of God's judgment throne? It's right here. Trust in Christ. It's in Christ that you have the blessing. It's in Christ that you bear fruit, and it's in Christ that you have confidence on that day. This choice is set before you. It's been, it's been there every day. It's been there every morning when you've woken up, and it's been there every day that you've gone to bed, and it stands before you even right now. Which way are you going to choose? Your choice has a consequence. What does the psalm teach us? Choose God's way. God's way is so much better. Trust his word. Follow his instruction. Choose God's way. Let's pray.